Now that the All-Star festivities are behind us, we can look ahead to a second half of baseball to see which teams will make a push for October and which ones will be left behind. I've got a couple of issues in the association regarding the San Antonio Spurs and Zion Williamson. Looky here, the Jets are on the clock as HBO will infiltrate their training camp in a couple of weeks for Hard Knocks as the coach is not on board with this. And we inch closer to a champion for both the men's and women's side, which will not include Iga Swiatek as she was upset earlier this week. I have a little bit of everything as we continue this slog of a slow sports period, but I'm locked and loaded, ready to deliver another entertaining podcast. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast. On wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the j Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, almost at the halfway point of July as time ticks with abandon and coming at you, not with recklessness, but with high energy and a fast pace as we get through this tough sports period together as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even... As early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And as we get closer to the middle of the month, and yes, the all-star festivities are behind us, we're just grasping for straws here as we try to deliver a full-bodied and about that one-hour sweet spot of a podcast, which has been a little bit tricky. I don't mind doing a 50-minute podcast or somewhere in between that 50-minute to an hour, but let's see if we could get through this together and we're going to kick it off with some baseball because that's what we got here for the most part. I'm not going to talk about the ESPYs last night. I did not watch a wink of that. I get it. LeBron James says that it's not time to retire. All right, great. Good for him. And that's no surprise when you really think about it. But first and foremost, the All-Star festivities that had come and gone, I did not watch one nanosecond of the Home Run Derby or the All-Star game. I know on Monday, I thought maybe I would at least watch the highlights to see what had taken place. And yes, I did read up on it late that night and even into the next morning for both the Derby and the All-Star game. And pretty much your takeaways are Julio Rodriguez had that killer first round with 41 home runs. Pete Alonso, who was eliminated by the 
aforementioned Rodriguez. And give it up for Pete Alonso in this regard. When we think about these contests, how players, when they win a home run derby or a slam dunk competition, or maybe even in the NHL with the skills competition, generally when they win, it's been there, done that. And that's their prerogative. That's certainly their right. But here is Alonzo, even after winning back-to-back, going back, what, 2019 or 2018 and 19, and then performing over the last two years and coming up short, and who knows, could this be it for him? Quite possibly, but give him credit, because usually a guy, when they go to this particular format in this particular setting, they'll go, win, or let's say not even win, and then they won't even show up ever again. And I understand that it's, I did it once, why do I have to do it again? But this is where I give credit to Alonzo, not because he's a med and he's my guy, etc. But I just like the fact that he will continue to participate long after he has the home run derby hardware somewhere in his mantle out in Long Island or Queens or wherever he lives. So I just want to get that off my chest. And then you had the scenario with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. winning the whole thing. That was the story as he is your home run derby champ. The first father-son, when you think about his dad, Vladimir Sr., who did it, I believe, in 2007 in San Francisco, or maybe in 06 in Pittsburgh. But either way, for those who got wrapped up into that, again, I didn't, and that was your home run derby. And the All-Star game, I understand that it was a little bit competitive. You had some good defense there, especially in that first inning with a couple of nice catches in the outfield. Randy Rosarena and, I believe, Adolis Garcia. So you had that going for you early on. And then late, you had Elias Diaz become your National League and All-Star Game MVP as the National League finally wins an All-Star Game. They win 3-2. to two. They've lost the last nine straight. And even going back to, I believe, the beginning of the century, they've lost, if I had to take a guess, maybe 16 or 17 of 20, whatever it is. Because remember, they didn't have the All-Star Game two years ago because of the pandemic. Or three years ago, or back-to-back years, wasn't it 20? 2020 it was, because 21 they had in Colorado, and then last year. Understood, but with that being said, your All-Star game, although it did come down to the bottom of the ninth with Julio Rodriguez, a chance to be a hero to tie the game, and Craig Kimbrell walking that tightrope that he always does, but was able to get out of it, and the National League win, and people could say, Jay Reels, how come you didn't watch? Come on, you're a huge sports fan, you've been doing this podcast for five-plus years, Why couldn't you watch at least two minutes of it? Here's the thing. If you've listened to me over the years, I haven't watched a lick of the All-Star game. Generally, I'll tune in to watch a few pitches, let alone an inning. But I just can't get wrapped up in it. It's not like it once was back when I was a boy in the 70s and 80s when the National League was just dominating the All-Star game. And as we know, with the way of the world, back then you didn't have interleague. Back then it was special. Back then... The players, I would even say, cared to be in the All-Star game. Where today, unless you're a first-timer, you just show up. Yes, whatever money that you're going to get from being an All-Star, and we know these guys get paid through the roof, notwithstanding the first-time players or the younger players that are in the game. But one more time, it just doesn't have the same appeal that it once did for me. And I talk about the story 10 years ago when I went to the All-Star game at City Field, and other than three riveting circumstances, Matt Harvey pitching in the game and what he had to do in that first inning, Mariano Rivera coming out of the bullpen, and he was the only guy on the field where they 
gave them their flowers, both the players from the AL and NL, and of course the crowd being in New York, so that was his stage at that moment when he came into the game. And then David Wright got one of three National League hits in the game in the game itself, and those were your highlights there for that 2013 All-Star game. So ever since then, I haven't really been a fan, I haven't really been watching it that closely, and as I've just detailed, I haven't watched it all. So that's what we have there with the All-Star game, the Home Run Derby, etc. And as I move on, as we take a look at the second half, or quote-unquote second half, the first eight that's going to pop right in our heads, that we're going to think and take a look at where these teams are certainly going to either stack themselves to make a run into August, September for a pennant chase, or the ones who are going to be selling and looking toward that date to unload big contracts or unload players because they know they're going to be out of it. I've been saying, for whatever the reason, I thought it was actually early this year, July 29th, but the trade deadline falls on August 1st. So it'll be that Tuesday where all teams that are going to make any type of deals to get those reinforcements, to fortify their roster, to make that push, is going to happen there on August 1st. Not July 31st as we've seen in the past. I think last year because of the late start, of the year, remember it started April 7th, I believe they even pushed it a few days into August, and I believe the year before that, it was even earlier, July 29th if I'm not mistaken, there in 2021, but what we have here is that date for, I would think, a handful of teams, and when I mean by handful of teams, I'm talking about those teams that are looking to elevate that pretender status to contender status, and those teams are as follows, the Baltimore Orioles, the Seattle Mariners, the Miami Marlins, dare I say yes, and that's not a Freudian slip, the Miami Marlins, the Cincinnati Reds, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yes, we can look at the Dodgers because of their pitching roles of late, not having Clayton Kershaw, and we know about Dustin May, obviously Walker Bueller, I've talked about this ad nauseum. You think that they're going to make a deal of some sort here before the deadline. And yes, the Braves, I think they would... Stan Pat, maybe they'll get another bullpen guy or another utility player. But to me, that team is ready for October and to see if they could get a second World Series championship in the last three years. I don't think even a team like the Texas Rangers, maybe they would even flirt with the idea of bringing in a pitcher. And that's a team that I probably should have lumped in there as well because they have never won a World Series and have not gotten to a World Series since those back-to-back years of 2010 and 2011. And then, of course, the Orioles are a team that a lot of people thought that they would ascend based on what they did toward the end of last year. And now look at where they're at. They're pretty much in a flat foot tie for first, although they're two games behind because the Rays have 58 wins and the Orioles have 54. So with those four games in hand, they have some wiggle room and tied in the loss. That's the most important stat. But those teams are going to look to try to bolster their rosters, whether it's their bullpen their starting lineup, bringing in another bat, bringing in a reliever, and you have to wonder whether or not these teams that are rarely, if ever, in the mix, the Cincinnati Reds is another one, that if they're going to be serious about pushing all their chips to the middle of the table and knowing that they can't stand pat, that they have to take a look at what's going on here and what has transpired, especially for a team like the Orioles who have a lot of great young players, and I don't think they would part with any of them, But they know that if they're going to take that leap, they're going to have to trade off some pieces in order to get 
that, I don't want to say final piece of their puzzle, but something close to it, knowing that they have a window that is just about to be cracked open. Same for a team like the Cincinnati Reds, where they've come out of nowhere after that slow start. What were they, 3-13 and to start the year? And here they are in first place in the National League Central by the slimmest of margins, one game. But the Reds, and even though with their ownership, who has made a lot of comments about the fans, about the organization, just not really being on the same page as far as having this team to where they could be a contender. But this is a, a year where we won't know until you get to October. And the Reds, we know that they have a very good lineup. They're pitching, although they have some young pitchers, but are they ready to take that next step? And remember, this team had Luis Castillo last year. Imagine what he would have been in this rotation with this team and how they performed up until this point. So are they going to go out and get someone close to that ilk come August 1st? I think we know the answer to that. But still, they have to really think long and hard knowing that they need to seize the moment. They just can't look at this year as, well, nobody expected us to be here. If we tail off here in the second part of this year, so be it. We'll come back next year full guns a blazing. No. No organization should think that way. Is anybody going to think that the Reds are going to make it to a World Series this year? Yours truly? Uh Uh-uh. I don't think so. But hey, if you do make a move here, a move there, and happen to have this team play at the level that you've been playing here over the last month and a half to maybe even win a division have home field in the first round. Yes, I get it that everybody's going to count them out and why not us have that mentality, but in baseball, you never know. The Miami Marlins, same thing. With a first-year manager, Skip Schumacher, and a bunch of guys who, led by Luis Arias and Jorge Soler, has been an all-star, and the young guns in that rotation, even with an underwhelming Sandy Alcantara this year, but that's another team with a very good bullpen that... If they were to bring in a veteran bat, or if they were to bring in another good starting pitcher, who knows what could happen with this Marlins team? Now again, similar to the Reds, are they going to make it to a World Series? No, but build on this. Don't just look at this year as, hey, whatever happens, whatever we can throw at the wall, and if it sticks, great. If it falls to the floor, fine. No. Compete. You're in the business to win. So when you look at these teams, especially the ones that had no business at the start of the season being here when we looked at the teams like the Mets and even the Padres for that matter that we thought that they were going to be thrust in the middle of a playoff pennant chase and here they are right now looking that they may even sell before they would buy to even think about making that two-month push to October. But why not do it? So if you're those aforementioned teams, and like I said, even the Texas Rangers with no DeGrom and I understand that they've hit the abutment here over the last two weeks or so, but would they even think to call up the Mets and say, hey, what can we get for Max Scherzer? I know that's going to be a stretch because you have to pay him, whatever it is, and who knows? He does have another year left on his contract. Is Steve Cohen willing to even entertain those type of offers and even bite the bullet to pay 75% on the dollar just to get a prospect or two back because obviously if the Rangers are going to foot that bill for the rest of the year then they're going to get nothing back so if Cohen is going to be willing to say all right we still owe Max Scherzer I'm going to just throw a number out there 60 million dollars and let's say if we pay 50 million but we want to get your second and fourth top prospect in your organization if you're the Mets you do it 
But will the Rangers, and knowing that if they're going to be one of those teams, they've been in first place throughout the entire year, and I get it that the Astros have been hurting, but they've been breathing down their necks. And Seattle looks like after their weekend in Houston, winning three out of four, and they're finally a game over 500, maybe they're a team that's going to look to make a push. They have excellent starting pitching, as we know, with George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, Castillo, etc. But maybe they're going to look to bring in a veteran bat and try to get that offense so they could lift off here in the second half to put them in position to where they can make it to the postseason for a second year in a row. But that's what we have here when we look at this second half are those teams. Yes, we could belabor the point about the Tampa Bay Rays and what they've done this year. Of course, the Dodgers. Even the Diamondbacks, that's another team that, although I lumped in with Baltimore and Miami, etc., but Arizona has to go for it too. But the big question is, will they? And to me, that is what's intriguing here over the course of the next two and a half weeks to see those teams. Because we expect teams like the Phillies, we expect teams like the Dodgers, of course the Yankees for that matter, and let's see where they fall if... Aaron Judge isn't going to come back anytime soon. Will they even flirt to bring in a guy like Cody Bellinger to be a part of their outfield, which would be a tremendous fit. Left-handed bat. You saw the home run he hit last week against Carlos Rodon. That short porch will be inviting for Bellinger. That would be a great fit. Those teams, we expect to make deals. Maybe even the Red Sox, for that matter, as they're just a game behind the Yankees, five games over 500 in the AL East. But it's those other teams that we're going to monitor, that we're going to pay attention to, that I think, not to say that they're necessarily going to do damage or are going to have an expressway lane heading to a World Series, but we want to see those teams invest. We want to see those teams make a move or two to put themselves in position to say, hey, we mean business. We are serious. We are having a very good year, a year that we never imagined back in February and March. And now that we're in the middle of July, let's go for it. That's what I want to see from those teams, a la Baltimore, Miami, Texas, Arizona, Cincinnati. As a baseball fan, wouldn't you want to see that as well? And as far as these races, we know the divisions are going to be afterthoughts, especially in the NL East, as the Braves have the biggest margin out of all the teams in Major League Baseball. They are 10 in the loss, 8.5 ahead of the Marlins, and barring just a rash of injuries to key players, the Braves are going to win the NL East and roller skate into October. And then we can look at both centrals, the AL and NL, where the AL is a little bit more competitive because you have the Reds and Brewers, Slimmest of margins, one game as I mentioned, but the Reds are 50 and 41, the Brewers 49 and 42, and then the AL Central, even the Tigers, as crazy as this is going to sound, they're 11 games on the 500, but only five in the loss. Do I think that they have a shot to win a division? I'm going to go out and say no, but could you imagine if the Tigers happen to make some moves to think that, hey, we can maybe make a push here because we're only five back. I don't know what the schedule looks like for the Tigers. The rest of the way, how many games do they have left against the Guardians and the Twins? But that just goes to show you how screwed up the AL Central is when the Guardians are 45 and 45, the Twins are 45 and 46, and even the Tigers 39 and 50, you would probably still have to throw them in the mix for a division title. Far-fetched, yes, but is it 
out of the realm of possibility? Maybe not. In the AL East, it's going to be interesting to see, like I mentioned, can Baltimore push the Rays considering the Rays have led wire to wire to this point and we've seen some bumps and bruises with this Ray team. No Shane McClanahan, who knows when he's going to return from that injury that he has. I believe it's an elbow, but that's going to be fascinating to see how that AL East is going to unfold because as we look at it, you would think that three teams of the six for the postseason will come out of the AL East. I understand that Houston's going to have an argument there, even Seattle to a certain extent. But who knows, you figure that those teams may beat each other up along the way, although we do have that balanced schedule. It's not like we're going to see the Rays and Orioles play 10 times in the last six weeks of the season. But who knows, stranger things have happened. I would think you're going to get two teams from the West, and then you may get those three teams from the East, and then obviously the one from the Central. But if Seattle has something to say about that, they could upset that apple cart, and you may have just two teams coming out of the East. So that's how I look at the American League. And in the National League, I don't want to say it's cut and dry. It is a little bit more open. But again, it's all contingent on what Miami does, the Reds, and to a certain extent, even the Diamondbacks. And you would think that those teams may hang around historically. Probably not. But what do the Padres, Mets, and Brewers have inside of them in order for them to make a move to see if they could get to October? Right now... I don't think the Padres, if it hasn't been clicking to this point, when is it going to click for them? And the same for the Mets. So unless they go on, and I said this over the last couple of podcasts, unless they go on a run where they win 21 of 26 or have that killer month of August where they go 23 and 4, similar to what Atlanta did in the month of June, I don't think they're going to get back in the race. And that goes for the Padres and the Mets. Now, how much will they be sellers come the deadline? I think the Mets may be more sellers than the Padres. That's just me, only because the Padres, I understand that they're eight and a half back in the division behind both the Dodgers and Diamondbacks as they're tied, but the Dodgers have a two-point percentage point lead in the division. But now let's take a look at the wild card in both the AL and NL, but I'll start with the NL. Forget about the Mets at this moment. When you look at how far behind they are and how many teams have to leapfrog, and yes, is seven games insurmountable where the Giants have the last playoff spot? It isn't, but you still have to get past the Cubs, Padres, Brewers, and Phillies to even get to the Giants. So that's why I think it's going to be tough sledding for them. And even with the Padres being six back in the wild card, a lot closer there than in the division, but when are they going to fire on all all cylinders? Is that going to happen anytime soon? It's going to have to happen at some point here before the end of the month because time is running out for both of those teams. And in the American League, when we look at the Astros, think about that. They actually have the final playoff spot, the wild card, in the American League and the Yankees are a game behind them and the Astros and Yankees haven't played one another yet. So that's something to keep in mind. Red Sox two back, Mariners, even the Angels five back. I can't even take the Twins seriously. To me, it's more of a division thing than the wild card. But... Here it is. When we take a look at the big picture here, I don't think in the National League, forget about Padres, Mets, I don't think the Cubs, 
you're looking at Brewers, Phillies, Giants, D-backs, Marlins, and it's interesting when you lump all those teams together for those three wildcard spots in the National League. The American League, it's wide open from the standpoint of Baltimore, they're in good position because they're five ahead of Toronto who have the second spot, who has the second spot, excuse me. And then Toronto and Houston are both tied there for the fifth place spot. And then you have Yankees, one game behind the Astros, Red Sox, two games behind, Mariners, four games, Angels and Twins, five games. I don't take the Angels or Twins seriously at this point. So you may be looking at Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, Blue Jays, and I'll say the Orioles for now as five teams for three spots. That's as best as I could put it for both leagues in both of those spots. We talked about the divisions as they are. All right, the NOS could be interesting as we get deeper into the dog days of August and September. Same for the AL East as we know. We've talked about the Centrals. The NL East is an afterthought. And the AL West, yes, it could be Rangers, Astros. I don't think the Mariners as far as winning the division. But it's those teams right there. But one more time before I move on, the big picture as the way this could all unfold, I don't want to put it all on those teams that are now in that rarefied air that they haven't been this deep into a season where they could really make an attempt to get themselves to October. But unless those teams make a few moves between now and August 1st, that's what's going to make the rest of this summer interesting. If they don't do much or anything for that matter, they may fall back to the pack and the teams that we expect to be there may happen to creep up and surpass them. So let's see how that goes here throughout the course of these next two and a half weeks. Two things quickly. I know Tony Clark, the head of the Players Union, has come out this week to say that he wants to talk to Rob Manfred and company about extending the pitch clock when it gets to October into the playoffs. Tony Clark, can you back off here? Seriously? Why would you want to tweak that? Why would you want to extend that? The games have gone by smooth. The games have, all right, you've had some games that are over three hours, but it's a faster pace, watchable game for the average sports fan at home. Why do you want to tweak it? And I understand it's not like he wants to tweak it by 10 seconds or whatever it is. And to be quite honest with you, I don't know what it is that he wants to do, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I'm sure the players to a whole, I don't want to hear about executive committees or the top guys that oversee the rank and file in baseball, but... I would think that they would be on board to keep it as it is. So by him wanting to make an adjustment here on the fly to once we get to October, let's change it up a bit. Nonsense. No. Keep it the way it is. And I hope Rod Manfred sticks to his guns and realizes that, no, we're not going to do that. For this year, this is how it is. Maybe next year we'll have some thoughts about it. We'll get around the negotiating table, and let's see what we could do. But as of right now, 2023, uh uh-uh, it is off the table. And let's hope he sticks to that. And let's get to my over-unders because I hadn't looked at him until this morning. After March 30th, and for those who are new to the podcast or maybe it's your first time listening, prior to the start of the year, I picked three overs and three unders. So the win totals coming out of Vegas, whatever they are, Real simple, I'm either going to go over with those win totals or under. 
Here's what I got as we embark on the second half. My overs look pretty good. My unders, you're probably thinking to yourself, Jay Reels, what in the hell was going through your head to at least for two of them? One of them, I should be okay, but let's get to it. Toronto, 90 and a half. Right now, they're currently at 50. So they would have to go the rest of the way. They have to get to 91 now. So that means 91 and 71. They have to go 41 and 30. Not impossible. It's doable. Hopefully Toronto gets there. I would think 90, maybe even 88 gets you into the postseason. But for the sake of this discussion, let's get to 91. Toronto, I would think, is on pace. So that's probably going to come down to the final few days of the regular season. Arizona, 74 and a half. Unless they trade for no one and they get a rash of injuries, they're already at 52. I need 23. I'm in good stead there. The Pittsburgh Pirates, 67 and a half. And yes, they've fallen off quite a bit here. They had that great start to their season. What were they, 20 and 9? And now it looks like that pirate ship has sprung a bunch of leaks to where they're not going to be able to clog them up. But 70, excuse me, 67 and a half. Can you win 27 more games? I think they can. They got to get to at least 70, right? So. Right now, I would think I'm 2-1, maybe 3-0 when it comes to my overs. My unders, cover your ears. I went back to the well on Tampa because I picked Tampa last year, and they just made it under 89.5. But I looked at that number again this year. I said, you know what? I'm going back to the well, 89.5. Although they haven't played well as of late. And currently, they're at 58, so they need 32. I think they're going to get there, so that's going to be a loss. The Texas Rangers... And I thought with Jacob DeGrom's health, not trusting that, and the Rangers, even with all their offseason moves, I thought that they would be right about that number. So it was very ambitious and a high risk for me to take Texas. And right now, that looks like a bad pick. Because even if Texas doesn't win the division, you would think they're going to make it to the postseason and they're going to surpass 81.5, you would think, in their sleep. So that's a bad pick, number two. And number three, although they've had their moments here recently, not to say that they've been world beaters by any stretch, but I chose a bad team. Last year, I chose the Oakland A's, and they cleared the under by far. I picked the Washington Nationals. They're number 59 and a half, so they have to win 24 more games the rest of the way. Can they do it? That's going to be a nail-biter, I think. And unless the Nationals go into September with a seven or eight game losing streak and they bring up the young kids and they pretty much say the hell with it and Davey Martinez is just looking to play out the string and just get to October and go on vacation, that's going to be a close one. So right now, I'm looking at probably three and three, maybe four and two if Washington stays in that under number, which four and two isn't really nothing to write home about. You want to be five and one or six and oh when it comes to the over-unders. And I believe last year in the NFL, I was 5-1. and one. I know nobody cares. But this is the fun little exercise I like to play at the beginning of the year. So I just thought to bring that up now as we're at the break. Not much to get into or talk about. And we'll revisit this, I would think, maybe around Labor Day. Just for grins and giggles. And then obviously once we get to the end of the season, we'll revisit, recap, and see where we land when it comes to over-unders here in baseball. All right, now let me lace up my high tops and go through the association just on a couple of things that have come out here over the last few days. And 
I'm just tired of these organizations taking their prize prospects. And who am I to say this? But this is why I do a podcast. This is why I have a platform. This is why I have a voice. I get it. Who is Jay Reels to say what the San Antonio Spurs should do when it comes to Victor Wembanyama? We've seen in the past, especially last year, and I talked about Chet Holmgren when he was drafted out of Gonzaga and on a defensive play, broke his foot, did not play at all last year. And based on some of the things I've read, he's actually had a very good year this time around when it comes to Summer League. And good for him. Hopefully, he'll be another piece to that OKC roster to where maybe they could take a next step and make it to the postseason and they're going to be a team to be reckoned with for the rest of this decade maybe not starting this upcoming year but certainly toward the latter part of the 20s but when we hear all the hype and the hoopla about Victor Wembanyama and yes the first game he had nine points nothing to write home about people started calling him a bust I don't know why seriously people if that is going to be your hot take might as well throw some ice cold water on that But then he follows that up Sunday night with the 27-point performance. And then, based on that, because Summer League, which will end on Monday, it's not as if Summer League is ending in the early part of August, the middle of August, or even by Labor Day. Summer League is 10 days. And now they decide, all right, speaking of ice, we're going to put Victor Wembanyama on ice. You're not going to see him throughout the rest of the Summer League. We'll see you in late September when training camps open. Now, I'm the wrong person to even bring this up because I don't even watch the Summer League. But for those who are into it, like my brother Justin, he's big time into the Summer League. Why would you rob this kid of an opportunity to play a few more minutes to get his feet wet? And I understand it's against similar competition to players that have been either drafted this year or even last year or walk-ons or free agents, etc. Or undrafted players. But why not give this kid a little bit more burn? I understand you're not going to put him out there for 30, 35 minutes a game. But even if you have him tip off and he plays six minutes and plays six minutes in the second half, at least he shows his face and people are going to say, well, why? Why not? Let him get some experience. Let him get his juices flowing when it comes to competition, especially against players that are of his ilk. And I understand they're not of his height and his talent, etc. But I'm sure that the guy who's undrafted is probably saying to himself, no, I want to go up against Wembenyama because I got something to prove. And I understand that's for that kid and that team and that organization, but I feel as if you're robbing this kid out of some in-game experience early on, and I get it. He's not playing against the veterans of the league. It's not as if he's playing in exhibition games in late September into October, but still, you want to get this guy a little breathing room to spread his wings a little bit to get the feel of what is about to come and lie ahead for this young kid. So after two games, going to pull the plug where the Summer League ends in literally four days? I can see Summer League is going to last until September 1st or the middle of August or even July 31st. But you can't give this kid another crack to get on the court to just break out a sweat a little bit? I just thought that I was, ugh, I, I couldn't stand that. And then now, speaking of trying to get your feet wet and playing and breaking out into sweats, and I talked about this at the end of the regular season with Zion Williamson, how he even said, and this is his quote, not me, how he was 100% physically ready to play, but he wasn't Zion ready to play. Meaning that he couldn't do all of the basketball activities, whether it's cutting, the explosion, the lift, etc., 
to where he feels and what the NBA fan has experienced and witnessed about him playing that Zion Williamson type of basketball where he's not going to revert to playing more of a distributor, passing, jump shots from the perimeter. No, it's that first step to the basket. It's that heavy traffic in the middle of the floor through the baseline and to the rim and playing above the rim that we've come to know and watch for what? A handful of games that we've seen in the first four years of his career? So with all that being said, he was on Gilbert Arenas' podcast to where he said that diet nutrition has been a challenge because at the age of 20, 21, 22, he has made so much money that he can't even count it. And that he has everything at his fingertips to the point where he's gone maybe even a little bit overboard, and I'm paraphrasing here, to where he hasn't been 100% focused on his diet, maybe even working on his game for that matter. And how he talked about, well, you think I want to sit on the sidelines and be with my teammates and watch them play? I want to be out on the floor. I want to contribute. I want to do this and that. Where was that same energy toward the end of a regular season when your team was on the cusp of maybe making it into the playing round? And as it was, you could have made a contribution. You could have maybe had your team get into the tournament and maybe make some hay similar to what they did last year when they lost to the Phoenix Suns there in the first round back, not this past season, of course, the year before that. Again, how come you didn't have that energy back in late March into April where now you're saying, yeah, I want to be out there. You can't have it both ways, my guy. So that was definitely a bad look. I don't know why he came out in that regard. Maybe he has a short memory. He didn't think about what he said back in toward the end of the regular season. But man... I snuffed that out a mile away through a thick fog and some dirty plexiglass. So you're not fooling me, my guy. So we know that this upcoming year, for him, the bullseye is going to be on number one there in New Orleans. Let me lace up my tennis shoes and my racket, break that out, because Wimbledon, now we're down to its final few days. I know everybody's looking forward to Carlos Alcaraz and Novak Djokovic, which we're now one match away. We'll have Daniel Medvedev go up against Alcaraz, which would be an excellent match. Medvedev beat the young Chris Eubanks, who was a great story here throughout the course of Wimbledon, but he wasn't able to get past Medvedev. Now he has Alcaraz in his sights. So let's see how that unfolds, where you have Novak Djokovic going up against Yannick Sinner. That should be a good match, but you have to wonder whether or not Sinner is going to have a similar I don't want to go as far as saying performance or outcome the way Alcaraz had against Djokovic in the French Open. Because you remember, his nerves were all over the place as Alcaraz admitted after the French Open in that semifinal against Djokovic at Roland Garros. And then, of course, he had started cramping. It was hot. He wasn't able to play the way Alcaraz did. And not to say Sinner's going to have that type of performance or he's going to have cramps or anything like that. But you have to wonder whether or not he's ready to take that leap to go up against this type of uh, caliber player, an all-timer, to see whether or not that he could push Novak to a fifth set, that he could push him deep into that fifth set or where his nerves are just going to overtake him. 
And Alcaraz, Medvedev, he's going to be up for the challenge. Let's see if Alcaraz, who beat Holgarune in straight sets on whether or not he's going to be able to take that next step to have that heavyweight matchup between he and Djokovic for a championship. That's what we have here with the men's as it unfolds here over the next couple of days. And on the women's side, I was shocked about Iga Swiatek and give it up to Elena Svitolina. She was the one that we talked about on Monday, beat Victoria Azarenka, and then you had that controversy about the booing afterwards, etc. But for Svitolina, good for her. You also have Jessica Pagula who's out. So she also had a chance to maybe see if she could get to that next level. And with Swiatek out, who was the heavy favorite going in, now you have an opportunity for Elena Rabakina or Arena Sabalenka to get to that point. And I understand it's not going to match what could possibly and potentially be on the men's side with the women's. But I think you have a very interesting weekend with both sides coming into with the behemoth and the colossal matchup that we would all hope to expect, not only as tennis fans, but as sports fans, to have both Alcaraz and Djokovic on that final 9 a.m. here in New York, 2 p.m. out in the Old England Club to see who's going to be your champion. As we all know, the stakes are high. Novak's going for his third straight this year as he attempts to go for another calendar slam like he did in 2021. And Alcaraz will go for his first ever Wimbledon championship. And then lastly, HBO, I'm sure they're salivating at this point. And they probably are ready at the Florham Park front door of the Jets facility, ready to roll camera in what could be and possibly may be a very intriguing hard knocks this coming summer. Now, I know the coach couldn't stand it. Robert Sala voices displeasure prior to the Jets being highlighted here for HBO's hard knocks series. And I know that he is going to scoff at this. And I don't know if he's been quoted. He was quoted prior to because the Jets were one of those final few teams. The Washington Commanders were another one. And you knew the Commanders weren't going to be a part of it based on everything that's swirling around them with the ownership change. And even recently now with the emails and John Gruden and how Daniel Snyder played a part in that. So I'm sure the Commanders were like, please don't choose us because we got too much going on here that they may uncover more stuff with cameras rolling in their facility for the world to see. But for the Jets and for Salah, and I get it that it's, he is going to be shaking his head and even scratching his bald head throughout the course of these next couple of weeks leading into training camp opening and everything surrounding the quarterback because we all know Aaron Rodgers is going to be the star. He's going to be the spotlight of all this. And then you have your personalities, whether your name is Sauce Gardner and also the young Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver, the comeback that we would expect to see from the running back and a one Brees Hall and guys like Randall Cobb and Aaron Lazard, or excuse me, Alan Lazard, who have worked with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. You know there's going to be a bunch of microphones stuck in their face and cameras that are going to follow them around and it could be a big time distraction. This isn't the Rex Ryan that, yes, bring on all the cameras, bring on all the spotlights bring on everything because I am Rex Ryan I'm larger than life I'm gonna bring this jet team and our personality to the masses let's go this is the complete polar opposite of that and I would not be surprised that maybe other than the quarterback 
and maybe the corner and the wide receiver that you could have a very whole hum boring type of hard knocks. Because you know that the coach, if he hasn't done so already in the last 24 hours, he's going to hammer that sucker home right now, whether it's by text, email, or smoke signal to his team, coaching staff, etc. Don't give these guys anything, meaning HBO, that is what I'm referring to. We don't want to give them much. I understand we got to give them something, but don't give them any type of bulletin board, lightning rod material, because the last thing they want to have is all that attention on them. Because I'm sure he's thinking that one little slip up is going to turn a molehill into a mountain. And with this media and this area and knowing that the Jets are a team that's going to be on national TV quite a bit throughout the course of this year, a team that has Super Bowl aspirations, a team that a lot of people are going to pay attention to before you can even get to your first preseason game and even regular season game for that matter. The bullseye is on the coach, the quarterback, the team, the organization. And HBO, I'm sure they're salivating and licking their chops to film anything and everything that happens out of Florham Park. To where the coach, and maybe to even a certain extent, the owner, I'm sure not only are they not looking forward to it, but they're hoping that his team goes out more like a lamb than a lion. But we shall wait and see. When that all takes place and how that unfolds sometime in the middle or early part of August when the first episode and the following airs at that time. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode in the books. Thank you so much for stopping by, carving out some time out of your precious day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, one more time, and I'll say it until I'm blue in the face. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. I'd greatly appreciate it. If you haven't done so, check out any of my social media platforms. Hit me up with a question, comment, suggestions, whatever it may be. On YouTube, at JReels. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast. Twitter, JReels1, just a number, or the old-fashioned way if you want to hit me up. Besides a DM, the JReels Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. This is what I love to talk about. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. Not only is this a job, this is far from a job. This, to me, it's all about my well-being. It's what I talked about since birth. I love it. I can't get enough of it. This is my passion. This is not only that, it's going to be my career. Hop on board, people, because even though it's been more than five years, I am just getting started. I'm taking this to places unknown yes i'm a one-man operation so it's slowly but surely going to happen but that's why i need your help with the likes subscribe the reviews the like whatever it is because one more time where else are you going to get all this under one podcast in about an hour's time or in this case less than an hour with fire passion energy fury with my thoughts Opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. And check those social media platforms, people, because I may actually have a special guest for you tomorrow. So be on the lookout for that. 
from the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>